The reading this morning is from Psalm 126. So if you want to open your Bibles and read along. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning, everyone. Morning. 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 Thanks, Beth. Bye. Uh, Bye. If you don't know me, my name is Andrew. Uh, I I serve as as one of the elders of this church. Um, We are actually uh, uh, kind of two churches in one, two congregations in one. And I serve alongside uh, three other elders, soon to be six of us. Um, and I lead this uh, team over here, this congregation over here. And, um, but but I, I say all that by saying that, that next week is going to be a, a really lovely occasion for us here because Lucas is going to come and preach for us. So if you don't know, uh, Lucas has been suffering with, with, with throat and mouth cancer uh, for the past six months. Um, and he's, he's through treatment. He's come through that. And we've seen God do amazing things in, in his body and, just, and, and actually even more so in his heart and his mind uh, in his marriage and his life in general. Um, so he's going to come and the first sermon he's going to preach back is going to be here and he's going to take us through Psalm 127. Um, so that's going to be really lovely. Um, and actually then I, you get rid of me for a couple of weeks because the week after that we're going to be doing a joint gathering uh, in East in our. So if you've never been there, it's on the Newton Arch Road and we'll make sure next week we tell everyone like, you know, where to go. No, not tell you where to go. You know what I mean. Give you directions. Um, but that'll be a really lovely thing. Two churches come together to celebrate essentially our fifth birthday as a church. Um, and we have a guest speaker coming for that as well. So that's going to be great. So for me today feels like, you know that feeling you get on the last day of school before the holidays? I'm like, oh, a couple of weeks, you know. Not that I'll be off, but I won't be uh, preaching. Um, so that's always nice to get a wee break. Um, so as, as um, Rachel goodness. As Rachel said, we're continuing this series we're in, the Psalms of Ascent. These uh, 15 Psalms, uh, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, uh, called the Psalms of Ascent because they were the the songs that the people of Israel would uh, sing together as they were um, ascending up the hill to Jerusalem to go and worship God for these festivals. Interesting, there's 15 of them as well, and and some people would attribute that to there's there's 15 steps up to the temple. And so some people say that maybe some of them would have, as they, they, they would have gone up the steps gradually and sung one psalm, each step another psalm, and it was this journey. And we're, and we're, uh, we're, we're going through these psalms uh, as a way to kind of remind ourselves that we're on a pilgrimage too. Now, we're not on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. God doesn't just dwell in Jerusalem anymore. He dwells in us and among us. But we are on this journey through life, this journey to the heart of God. That's what we're, we're trying to uh, get from these Psalms. And we've just been working our way through some of them. We're not going to cover all of them, um, just simply because we don't have time. Fairly soon, at the beginning of March, we're going to start a new series uh, in the, the Sermon on the Mount. And I can't wait for that. I think that's going to be really, really good for us. And it's very kind of practical um, how to live as the people of God. And it's going to be really, really powerful. Um, so we look forward to that. Um, yeah, that's really bad, isn't it? It seems to be if I step forward, maybe if I just step back, I don't know why. 
Maybe I'll just move back here. That's really bad. Um, let, me start by, uh, let me start by praying. Why don't we do that? Let, me, let us pray um, and ask for God's help. Uh, Father, um, recognize that we're weak. Recognize that, that we're tired, that we're distracted. Um, we're coming in here with all kinds of baggage from the weak. Um, Lord, we need your help to understand what you're saying to us this morning. Uh, Father, I pray that, 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 that not that we would leave our baggage at the door, but that we would start to see our baggage in light of how great you are. Um, Father, give us such a great vision of, of you this morning, that everything else in the world, even our, our, our highest highs and our lowest lows seem, seem insignificant compared to you. Um, help us now as we open your word and, 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 and study it and, and speak to us, Lord, this morning through your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, a few years ago, uh, me and five friends decided that it'd be a good idea to cycle from Belfast to Paris on fixed gear bikes that we built ourselves. Um, now, I don't know if you know how far that is, but it's, it's 500 miles thereabouts, and we wanted to do it in five days, so 100 miles a day. Um, we had never trained, really. We, none of us had ever done it like this before. Um, we just decided, ah, oh, how hard can it be? We'll just, you know, cycle, and eventually we'll get to Paris. And eventually we did get to Paris. Um, we were so underprepared that, well, we were kind of overprepared in one sense. We had brought spare tubes and tires and chains and wheels and all the rest of it, but we didn't have even one first aid kit. We didn't have any bandages. We didn't have anything. Um, but something that on that journey, well, it was a theme throughout the journey. We would go from uh, absolute ecstatic joy to complete despair, like, what, what is my, like, why am I doing this? What is happening? And I remember one particular, I think it was maybe the third day in, so we, it was our, yeah, it was our, maybe our first day in France, something like that, and uh, we were cycling, we had to cycle to this campsite, um, and we had to cycle bit, pretty much until sunset, and it was getting dark, and we were lost, we didn't know where the campsite was, and I was in charge of the, the route and directions, and I had just made everybody lost, and actually, some of the guys, not me, obviously, were in tears. We just like pain, like people's, people couldn't walk. People had sore bums, like the whole thing. It was awful. Um, and we were just like in the middle of nowhere in complete despair. And so somebody had the idea that we should pray because it seemed like the thing to do at the time. Not because we had any great faith that God was going to help us, but because we thought it was the thing to do at the time. And then about half an hour later, as we were on our bikes, right, this amazing thing happened. It was getting dark. There was a storm coming in. We turned this corner and it looked like the clouds had just parted and the sunset was coming through and then we saw our campsite. Like It was just this inc incredible weird thing and I've never heard six fully grown men laugh as hysterically as we did on our bikes, just laughing with pure joy, like laughing. It was unbelievable. And I say that to illustrate that sometimes our lives are like that, aren't they, right? None of us, I don't think any of us are just kind of on a constant all the time. None of us are certainly on a constant high. None of us are on a constant low. Gen sometimes you can feel like you are, but, but generally we're quite up and down, aren't we? I'd say that most of us, our lives are a wee bit of an emotional roller coaster. And, and, and being a Christian doesn't make you exempt from that. In fact, sometimes I think it heightens that. We're not, we're, it's not like we become Christians and suddenly all our problems disappear, and we've talked about that before in this, in this Psalms. Sometimes we feel like uh, we're, we're on top of the mountain, you know, that, that no one could ever make me doubt my faith. No one could ever make me doubt Jesus. Don't be silly. And then the very next day, we could be at the bottom of a valley thinking, God, where are you? Like that song says, how long, O oh Lord, 
And what we see in Psalm, or what we've seen in Psalm 122, was this idea of, of pure joy. Remember how David he's he's singing, he writes this song about how good it is to to worship God with 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 the people of God to get together to worship God. He's full of joy and excitement. And then last week we looked in uh, Psalm 123, and it was more of a, a psalm of 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 despair. It was just down in the dumps. It was like, have mercy on us, O Lord. And, and I don't know where you're at this morning. Uh, maybe you're reading Psalm 122 and you're thinking, yes, I agree with that. I thought really, and Psalm 123 doesn't make sense to you. Like, I don't get that at all. Maybe you're the other way around. You're looking at the guys uh, full of joy and you're saying, How could, I, I don't get that at all. But I think that what happens in Psalm 126 where we are this morning is both these things come together. And I want to say that, 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 that both of these things are normal experiences, normal Christian experiences. You don't, have to, you don't have to force joy all the time. You don't have to, some Christians actually feel like they have to be miserable all the time, don't they? We have to be somber, sober. We do, but also we have to be full of joy. But we don't want to force these things. Wouldn't it be weird if someone said to you, yeah, my, my granny died this morning, and you were like, Yes, I'm so full of joy. Wouldn't that be a weird thing? That'd be really insensitive. People would think you're a lunatic. Even, and even Jesus, who was the most perfect human being ever, you know what it was said of him? He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. That means that grief was his friend. And our lives are often like this, aren't they? They're up and down. So I wanna, I wanna ask this morning this question and keep it in, keep it in your mind. And this is the question we're gonna use Psalm 126 to answer. How are we to live in the ups and downs of life? How are we supposed to live when it seems like one minute, not even one day or one week or one month or one year, but one minute to the next, we're two different people? How are we supposed to live? See, this psalm is about thoughts and feelings, right? So often we allow our feelings to dictate where we are. And sometimes we allow our thoughts to dictate where we are and we don't entertain our feelings. This psalm is about engaging your thoughts to think about certain realities and truths. And the result of that for the writer of this psalm is pure joy. This psalm is about looking back to look forward. And we're going to see why that's so important for us as Christians. This psalm reminds us that the reality of our past salvation, it gives us the strength we need to endure the, the, the present. And it gives us a hope for the future. There's three distinct sections to this psalm. And we're going to look at these in order this morning. There's uh, verses 1 to 3 are about remembering the joy of your salvation. Verses 3 and 4 are about uh, letting our salvation inform our prayers. And, and, and verses 5 and 6 are about recognizing the hope of our future. You see, no matter what your current experience of life is, no matter if you're on top of the mountain or you're in the, the bottom of the, the ocean, remember like, remember like Jonah Jonah prays in the bottom of the ocean. He says, the, the, the snares of death entangle me. That's how he felt. No matter if it's good or bad, whatever's going on, if you're a Christian this morning, I want you to hear this. You have a real historical event that you can hold on to that gives you the strength you need to endure the present and gives you a sure and steady hope for the future. Amen? Firstly, then, let's look at this idea of remembering the joy of our salvation. Verses 1 to 3. In the first part of this psalm, um, it's like if I go there, it, 
does a weird noise. I'll try and stay still. I know it's not like me. Um, in the first part of the psalm, we see uh, the people that are looking back, right? They're looking back to, to the great things that God has done from them. And that's where they draw their encouragement from. It's actually what forms their prayers in verse 4. And it's the basis for their hope in verse 5 to 6. And this is where they start. They start by looking back. Read, uh, keep your Bible open. Let's read verses 1 to 3 again together. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. I want us to notice the first thing here. As they, as they remember the joy of their salvation, it's not about them, it's about the Lord. Three times, verse one, the Lord restored the fortunes. Verse two, the Lord has done great things. Verse three, the Lord has done great things for us. This is about who God is and what he has done. You see, it seems like the, 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 the Israelites singing this psalm and, and certainly the guy that wrote this psalm, he knows who his savior is. He knows who's the one who has done these great things for them. He says, God has re- the Lord has restored the fortunes of Zion. Now, this isn't, this isn't the same way as uh, we think about fortune in the sense of like money. It's not like, you know, he's made them really, really rich in that sense. Or it's not in the same way as we talk about fortune in terms of luck. Like, oh, he's given them some good luck. That's not what he's saying. But what this language is in, in the Bible sense, by the way, when it says Zion, that's just another way of talking about uh, Jerusalem or, or the people of God. It's this biblically imagery for the people of God. But what this is talking about, this phrase in the Hebrew Bible, it, 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 it's about a positive change in circumstances, right? It, it's used throughout the Hebrew Bible, and it means this. It means the change that happens when God's wrath is turned away and God's favor returns. So when it says he's restored the fortunes, it means that the wrath of God has been turned away and his favor has returned. And when the Lord rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, remember the story, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you've heard it at least once. They were slaves in in Israel and and God raised up Moses and Moses went to see Pharaoh and there was the, the 10 plagues and then finally they were free and they crossed the Red Sea. See, when, they, when, when God did that, his wrath was turned away from the people and his, his favor was turned towards the people. And, and, and it's interesting that he recalls this because their delivery from slavery is actually the basis for who they were as God's people. This was the foundation of who they were. Listen to what God says to Moses in Exodus 6. This is before he's about to rescue them. And he says, God says, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. And I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. God was the one who delivered them out of slavery. God was the one that brought them out of captivity. God was the one that saw uh, their, their, their need of saving. And, and through that act, he made himself a people. He made them his people. It was through that act that this nation became God's people. It was through an act of redemption that they became God's people. These things are the foundation of the identity of who the Old Testament people are. So when we read these Psalms, we kind of need to enter into the mindset of the people that are singing them. You see, they knew, they knew they would always look back to that. This is when we became the people of God, when God saved us. 
And if you're a Christian, you're probably thinking, well, that sounds familiar, and it should. It's the same for us. Redemption is the root of our identity. You wouldn't be part of the people of God if you hadn't been saved. If you're a Christian this morning, then hear this, be reminded of this. You've been saved from slavery. You've been set free from captivity. Not from real slavery in Egypt or anything like that, but you've been set free from the captivity of your sin. You've been raised from death to life. You have been seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. You were an enemy of God, the Bible tells us. You rebelled against God. I say you like I didn't. I did all these things too. I was this. I wanted nothing to do with him. But the wrath of God has been turned away from you and his favor has turned towards you. That's what the gospel is, right? The wrath of God's been turned away from us. I deserve that wrath, but it's been turned away from me. And God's favor has turned towards me instead. So this is who we are. We're the people who have received God's favor instead of God's wrath. And this is the one real, true, historic fact that can give us hope for the future, that can inform how we pray about our current circumstances. And that's what they're remembering here. But look what happens in verse 2. I love this. Uh, Verse 2 says, um, sorry, the end of verse 1, I should say, says, we were like those who dream. We're like those who dream. Do you remember when God saved us? Remember the joy? That, was that real? Was that real life? Can you imagine them walking? You know how he did it? He, he brought them through the Red Sea, part of the sea. And they were, can you imagine walking through that? And you're walking and there's water on either side of you and you're on dry land. And you're thinking, is this, is this real? Is this really happening? It's like we're living in a dream world. Oh, the noise again. Imagine them coming through on dry land and, and the, the Egyptian armies coming after them with all their chariots and soldiers and horses and everything. And, and then as soon as the last old man, I imagine like the old guy who's probably last, maybe not, he last person steps on the shore, boom, God causes the water to crash down on top of them. And the noise must have been incredible. And then silence. Silence. You know, it's... Um, Listen to, I love, I love a bit of history and, and one of my favorite uh, periods of history is World War II. And um, there's these accounts, of, uh, these accounts of soldiers in the Pacific and they're getting the news that the war is over, that Hitler has surrendered, that the war in Europe is over. And they don't know how to respond. They don't respond for ages. They're like, you know, it's almost like, can this really be true? Are we dreaming right now? And then the joy comes, we're free. Our slavery is over. The joy is like a dream. And the point for, for us is this, right? When we remember our salvation, it should be the same for us. It's almost like it's too good for, to be true because the miracle that happened in you is greater than the miracle that happened when God parted the Red Sea. Isn't that incredible? I've actually heard people, uh, no, I don't believe this, but, but they, can, they could scientifically come up with a theory of how the Red Sea could have happened, but no one can come up with the scientific theory of how you can be raised from spiritual death to spiritual life. It's a miracle. It's amazing. It's, it's like a dream. It's like we say, man, is that real? And then he says, our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was shouted to joy. Their joy was so great that they were just laughing. They couldn't, it's like us on the bikes. We, could, we didn't even know what to say. We're just so happy that finally we're gonna like, get something to drink and a hot dog or something, you know? Like we're just full of joy, full of laughter. We don't have words for it. It's so great. 
And then finally their, their, their laughter starts to give way and they can start to form words. And, and when it says shouts of joy, that's, that's like a song. This language means a song. Our, our tongue with shouts of joy. It's like they burst into song. You can imagine this, when the psalmist is writing this, he's thinking about that song that we sang. You know that song we sang, the song of Moses? That's about, that's the, you can read that, you can read that in, in Exodus 15, almost the full chapter of the Bible, this song that Moses leads a million people in the desert singing this song. God is our mighty warrior. He has overcome. This is what it says. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God, I will exalt him. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. You know what I love about that song? That song is in Revelation. That song that, that God saved these people all like hundreds and hundreds of years ago and it started there. And we're gonna be singing that in eternity forever. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that like an amazing thought? This is why we remember what God has done. This is why we listen to these sermons every week. This is why we sing these songs. This is why we we discuss these things in our, our missional communities because we need to remember the great things that God has done. Feelings are great, aren't they? Some of you are like, nope, wish I didn't feel the way I felt right now. But feelings are great because God gave us feelings and emotions as a gift. Because it's only through feelings and emotions that we can experience joy, experience the thing that he's given us. Imagine being present at the birth of, I'm a man, so I'm going to say being present at the birth of your child as opposed to giving birth. But imagine me being present at the birth of one of my children and not being able to feel that. In reality, I was an emotional wreck, as I've said before, just like, blubber a mess. Joy is a gift. Feelings are a gift. But sometimes we get so caught up in our feelings that we become slaves to them, don't we? We think that the way we're feeling is the only way we can feel. But that's not true. Just because you do feel a certain way currently doesn't mean that that's the way you have to feel. Sometimes we have to engage our minds like the the, the people in the psalm are doing. Sometimes you have to remember. You have to consciously make an effort and remember, I'm going to remember the joy of my salvation. We use our thoughts. This is why God tells us in Romans 12 that we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Elsewhere, he tells us to take every thought captive. We engage our minds. We remember the joy of our salvation. My father-in-law, he always says, it's the same thing but different way. He says, don't let the devil steal your joy. And I laugh at him every time he says it, but he's, he's right, isn't he? Don't let the devil steal your joy. Engage your mind. Remember the joy of your salvation. Purposefully reflect on who God is and what he's done for us. That that you're united with Christ. That you're seated in the heavenly realms. That that you were once an enemy and now you're a friend. That that, that you were once an orphan and now you're adopted as a son or a daughter into the family of God. Set your mind on heavenly things, Paul tells us. Maybe you're not experiencing joy right now. I just encourage you to engage your thoughts. Train your mind to think on these things. I'm not saying that joy is something we have to earn. It's not, joy isn't a requirement of the Christian faith. You don't have to be joyful to be a Christian, but it's a consequence of the Christian faith. It's a consequence of remembering who God is and what he's done for us. And when you think about these things and meditate on them and consider them, of course you're going to be full of joy because I used to be dead and now I'm alive. Why would I not be full of joy? I need, you know, we need to stop looking in for a minute and, and just start looking up that we talked about last week. I 
one of the things I love about this as well is that um, it wasn't just a benefit for them, was it? I love the end of verse 2 when he, he says, They said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Remember last week what the nations were saying? The people were mocking them. But here he's remembering, listen, when we came through the Red Sea and God saved us, the people were saying, the Lord has done great things for them. Actually, sometimes when they went into to the promised land, people were scared of them because they were like, God is with them. Now, my question is, how did they know that it was God that was doing all these amazing things? How did they not just think these Israelites are very lucky or they have a skillful army or they have good leaders or whatever it is? The point is this. The only reason they knew that God was doing these things was because the, the joy of the people of Israel was a witness. It was a witness. It's, it, the joy coming up in me, that my singing about how great God is, look at what God has done, actually became a witness to the nations. And so it should be for us. Peter tells us that we should, you know, honor Christ as holy in our hearts and, and always be prepared to give an answer for the reason, for the hope that is in you. If anyone asks, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And the point is this, how is anyone going to know there's hope in you if they don't see your hope? Our hope and our joy is a witness to other people. So we need to remember the joy of our salvation. We need to remember that the wrath of God has been turned away and God's favor has been turned towards us. And this is the path to joy. Not just our joy, but that other people will see how great God is as well. Secondly then, in the ups and downs of life, we remember the joy of our salvation, but we also then let our salvation form our prayers. This is what we see in verses three and four. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. And we'll get to that bit in a minute. Now, verses one and verses four are kind of like mirror images. He starts by saying, he starts by saying, when the Lord restored our fortunes, and then now he's praying, restore our fortunes. So what's going on here? Well, it's a way of saying, God, you've already done this for us. I know you can do it, so do it again. And sometimes we need that prayer. We remember the joy of our salvation. Consider all that God has done for them. And they use that knowledge and that experience to ask for more of the same. See, God has saved them before. We saw that their whole identity was based on the fact that God has saved them. And so they know that he's going to do it again. Because God has done it before, we know that he will come through in his promises. This is the kind of state that we live in as Christians, isn't it? We live in this now and not yet, right? God has saved us, yes. I am presently and currently seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. But I still live in a broken, sinful world. I still live in a broken body. I still live in insecure times. We're saved, yes, but, but things aren't how there ought to be. Things aren't the way that God has designed them to be. Have you ever looked at a particular situation? This happens to me in the news all the time. I see something and I'm like, come Lord Jesus. Just this morning at four o'clock in the morning, I was reading uh, on a news website um, about uh, 170 migrants died on two shipwrecks in the Mediterranean yesterday. 170 people because they're fleeing awful things at home and they risk everything. Men and women and children. 2,000 people died, 2,000 refugees died in the Mediterranean last year alone. And you just look at that and you say, come Lord Jesus, end that and make things right. What this situ situation needs, Lord, is for you to fulfill your promises. 
And maybe it's more personal than that. Maybe it's something you're going through, illness, depression, sickness, struggling with some relationship thing, struggling with even just committing the same old sin over and over and over again. It's the tension we live in. And our only response can be, Lord, come and make things right. Even in our joy, we say, Lord, this joy, that's just a taste of the real joy that's coming. Lord, come and get me. Come and fill this joy. (laughs) But there's an encouragement for us. And I want you to hear this this morning, especially if you're in a dip. (laughs) God always keeps his word. God always keeps his promises. By remembering what God has done for us, we can live with confidence that he will fulfill his promises. And look what he prays for. He prays that God would restore their fortunes like streams in the Negev. Now, we've got a picture of the Negev up here. Ian's going to throw it up for us on the screen. The Negev was this region, and it's a big, massive region, South Israel, and it's a desert. It's like this. It's like this. And so what you're seeing there is a riverbed carved out by soil erosion and wind and so on, and it's dry. But what would happen, for most of the year, it looks like this. But what happens is, when the rain comes, green grass and flowers, it talks about blossoms, spring up overnight. And I I should have put a contrasting picture because you would would swear you were looking at a a field in, in Galway or something. Like it's just green. When the rain comes, it's like that. And it happens quickly. It's overnight. Have you ever seen those... Dave Attenborough things where it shows that happening like the savannah or something, like it springs up overnight. It's like that. And this is what he's praying for. He's saying, Lord, come quickly. Come like a flood. We don't want to wait any longer. We're desperate for you to do what what you've promised you're going to do. So we pray, in the times of sorrow, we pray, Lord, come quickly and, and, and end sorrow and pain forever. In the times of joy, we, we pray, Lord, come quickly and, and fulfill this joy. And this is the attitude that we take on as followers of Jesus. This is how we endure the ups and downs of life. None of us are steady people. We're all emotional. Some of us more than others. I'm looking at myself here. That's how we endure it. We say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Do what you're going to do and do it quickly. Because the foundation of our existence as Christians is that Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven for us. That's a real thing. I believe that actually happened. So in the ups and downs of life, we remember the joy of our salvation. We let that salvation form our praise. Come, come like the flood. And then finally then, we, we recognize the hope of our future. This is verses five and six. It, said that, it says this. Read it with me. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Shouts of joy comes back again. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. There's a, there's a change of tone at this point in the psalm. It goes from, from, from past, ten, past tense to, to future tense. First he was remembering. He's remembering how good God is. Look at, look at how God has saved us. And then he's praying. He's saying, come Lord Jesus, come like the flood. And now he's preaching. Love that. It's like he's having a word. You ever say hear someone say have a word with yourself I need that every day have a word with yourself preach to yourself tell yourself to wind your neck in read the bible remember how good God is did I say wind your neck in on the sermon yes I did and he's using this farming language so for you uh, people that 
have never been to the countryside that grew up in the city, um, I'm going to explain what this means. That's a joke. When a farmer, not really a joke, when a farmer plants a seed in the ground, there's an expectation that comes with it, isn't it? There's an expectation. He doesn't just throw seed in the ground and think, well, that's, that's that done, whatever. No, there's expectation. There's potential in those seeds. The expectation is, it's almost a sure expectation, is that one day he's going to harvest the crop, that the seed's going to grow, that what he put in the ground isn't going to decay in the ground. It's going to come forward and actually come forward not just as a seed, it's going to come forward as a fully formed plant. And he uses this illustration in the hope that the, the, the people of God, uh, sorry, he's, using, he's illustrating the hope that the people of God have in what God has done for them that he's going to do again, that he's going to, he's going to bring to fruition. Uh, my brother-in-law is a farmer and uh, I used to work on a farm years ago when I was a teenager. And uh, I can tell you that sowing the seeds in the spring that's the hard time. There's no joy in that. But when you're doing the hard work of the harvest, that's when the joy is. That's when you get the rewards of all your labor. So when he's talking about the joy, that's what he's saying here. He's saying all the expectation and the potential of those we seeds is going to be fulfilled. Joy is going to come back in. He says, this is what he says. And he's talking about harvest being brought back in. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy. You'll be singing when you're bringing in the sheaves. When the, when, when the, you'll be like a farmer who's carrying home his harvest. and You'll be singing shouts of joy. God has fulfilled his promises. This, this hope and expectation for the future that the psalmist has. God has done great things for us, verse 3. And so we know that he's going to do great things again. And this is what it's like for us as well. We remember in the past tense and we look forward in the future tense, knowing that God is constant in between. Our past is the joy of our salvation and the future of our salvation is joy. Let me say that again. Our, our past is the joy of our salvation and the future of our salvation is joy. What God has started in you, he's going to complete in you. No matter how you feel right now, no matter how up or down you might be. Eugene Peterson, one of my teachers as I've been reading these Psalms, he says this, he says this beautiful thing. He's such a great writer. He says, if the joy-producing acts of God are characteristic of our past as God's people, they will also be characteristics of our future as his people. What we have known of him, we will know of him. Isn't that beautiful? In other words, what's he saying? He's saying, God is faithful. God is faithful. Your future is secure, no matter what the ups and downs of life are. In both the highest heights and the lowest lows, we know that our future is secure. That you have been raised from death to life. That you are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. That you are adopted as, as a son or a daughter into the family of God. That you will see Jesus face to face one day. Do you ever consider that? That's a reality. This is, what, this is what God tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, if you're taking notes. He says this, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, 
Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. This means that the joy we experience now in this life, it's only a half joy. It's only, it's only a taster of the joy that's to come. It's like those wee cocktail sausages or bits of cheese they give you in the supermarket. What's in the future is the whole block of cheese. Man, I do love cheese. Can't believe I'm comparing our eternal salvation to cheese. Pretty cheesy. What God has started in you, he will complete. Guaranteed. One day you will see Jesus face to face. Imagine that, our Savior. Our Jesus. See him face to face. We don't think about that, do we? One day we'll be with him, physically present with him. Walking with him, talking with him. Isn't that incredible? I believe that. I believe there's people I know that are there now. It sounds like a dream, doesn't it? Now you kind of get a sense of why he was saying this at the start. We were like the ones who, we were like those who dream. It's like we're it's like a dream. But here's the truth: the joy of the Christian life is that what seems like a dream is actually real for us. We go, man, that sounds like a dream. It's actually real. It's real. And maybe you're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, this sounds great. That's all well and good, but how can you be sure? How can you be sure? Well, just to keep the farming imagery going, let me point you to another scripture. Another passage, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. Um, This is Paul, and he's... Uh, writing to the church in Corinth and they've got some questions and because some of their loved ones, some of those Christians there have, have died and as, as he calls it, fallen asleep, which is just beautiful, isn't it? They've fallen asleep. And they're saying, but how do we know that, they'll be, that we'll see them again? And this is what he says. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now this is harvest imagery all over again. The imagery of, of seeds being sown and harvest being brought forward. That, that actually, even in pagan religions in the Old Testament times, this was, uh, this was symbolic of death and resurrection, right? So in that sense, when Jesus died, he was like a seed that was buried into the ground. And then when he came out of the grave, he was like the first fruits of a harvest being, being brought forward. And Paul says... He's the, Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. Now the first fruits, that word, if you do a word study into that, the first fruits were the bits of the harvest that were ready first. So it might be your first wine, it might be your first corn, or your first wheat, or your first lambs, you know, in springtime. But the point is, it's no different from the rest of the crop. It's, it's, it, you, can't, you can't take the first fruits and, and, and distinguish between that and the rest of the crop. So what that means for us is that, that, that because Jesus has risen from the dead, we who are part of the same crop will rise from the dead. Do, do you get the significance of that word, first fruits? It means that, that, that Jesus' resurrection is our guarantee. And so we look back and we remember, we remember our salvation, and this is what we do when we take the bread and the wine. But it's not just remembering the great things that God has done for us in the past. We're actually recognizing in that moment the the, the hope of our future. We can trust God because Jesus died and rose again. We can endure the ups and downs of life because Jesus died and rose again. He's the first fruits. He's the first one of us. We're his brothers and sisters and we're going to go with him. 
I think, I don't know about you, but most of the time, this present life, it's so consuming and it feels so real and, and, and tangible and visceral that I rarely consider my real life that hasn't even started yet. I feel that. I get so caught up in like the way I feel and the, and the things I do and, and all the things that you feel too. And I rarely consider that my real life hasn't even started yet. But the truth is that even though it might seem like a dream, that it's real for us. Second Corinthians 1 verse 20 says this, and I know I've, I've, I've given you a lot of scripture this morning, but it's way better than I could come up with. It's the word of God. Let's hear it. He says this, for all the promises of God, all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. That is why it is through him, through Jesus, that we utter our amen to God for his glory. God has promised these things. They find their yes in Jesus. That is, they're fulfilled in Jesus. And we go, amen. Um, I'm not sure if I'll be able to do this, but I really want to. So bear with me. I'm an emotional person at the best of times. Um, this stuff um, became a lot more real to me recently. Um, please, <laughs> I apologize. Um, uh, one of the, the bravest people I've ever known was my sister Jillian. And a lot of you knew her too. Um, and she... Uh, she um, I was going to say died, but she didn't. Uh, I heard someone say she graduated into her real life. Um, just over a year ago, she had leukemia. And a few days before she died, uh, she was with us and uh, in church and we were worshiping. And uh, she... She was singing that song that we're going to sing about... The yes and amen. That he is faithful. Faithful you are. All your promises are yes and amen. And then just a few days later, I, I held her hand as she died. Now in that moment, has God not fulfilled his promises? <clears throat> I dare you to go to heaven and ask her that question. No. God's only getting started with her now, you know? Isn't that incredible? And it's the same for us. Now she's seeing him face to face. I really believe that, by the way, 100%. I apologize for my emotion. I don't apologize, whatever. She's one of those people, and I know you all know people like this too, that has proved she's now part of the great cloud of witnesses that, that Hebrews talks about. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us cast off every sin that, that so easily ensnares us. She's now part of that great crowd of witnesses that have proved the promises of God. And if you don't know Jesus, you need this hope. What other hope can you have? And you can have this hope. You can just believe in him and trust in him and this is open to you. It's the only way we can endure the ups and downs of life. And if you are a believer, if you're one of God's children, like we are in this church, Remember who you are in Jesus. Remember that your identity is that, that you have been saved. Your identity is that you're now in the family of God. That salvation is the foundation of who you are. And from that, let your prayers be formed out of that. God, you've done it before, so do it again. 
And we can apply that to every minutia of our life, every minute detail. This is a really hard day. Lord, you've saved me before. Save me from this right now. There's some excellent prayers and prayers in this church. Talk to them about it. Lord, you've saved me once. Save me again. And in the grander scheme, we say, come, Lord Jesus. You've done it before. You've started it. Finish your work. And we recognize a hope for our future. That we're going to rise again. That our life is going to last forever in him. We're going to be with him presently and physically forever and ever and ever. And we're going to have shouts of joy. We're going to be singing shouts of joy. We're going to laugh our heads off. Because we're full of joy forever and ever and ever. And that's never going to end. I hope that's an encouragement to you. Because it's such an encouragement to me. Let me pray for us. Father, when we hear these things and we listen to these things and we think about these things, all we can do is just add our amen to the promises that find their yes in you, Jesus. We add our amen. We don't know why we suffer and we don't know why we're going through what we're going through. But Lord, we know that you know and we know that we are fully known by you. And Lord, maybe we're on the other side of the valley. Maybe we're on top of the hill this morning. And and Lord, the joy that we're experiencing is only just a taster of the joy that is to come. The full joy, the real joy. Lord, help us to hold this in our minds and our hearts. Help us to go through life not thinking about, uh, not consumed by the the day-to-day. But let us be consumed by the reality that we are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. Our future is incredibly bright. Our future is secure. Jesus, help us to remember the joy of our salvation. Help us to pray based on the joy of our salvation. Help us to recognize the hope we have for the future. We pray this in Jesus' name. Please help us, Lord.